This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks here, as always, with Kara Sismati from the Canadian Camping and RV Council, as well as Angela Hilton, the editor-in-chief of Modern Campground. We've got a super quiet show today. It's the first time in a while, I was talking about it before we went live, that we don't have six other guests who are all waiting to talk at the same time and sharing all that kind of valuable information. So we've got our open discussion show the first week. We've got a, a campground under show coming up next week, and then the RV industry show in the fourth week. And the second week, we've just left open here and so we get to talk to super exciting people more at length like the getaway couple here who we have on the show who introduce themselves in a minute but just as a reminder if you're watching us on facebook on one of the i don't know how many channels we're broadcasting on now if you put a comment in there then we can bring that up on the show answer your questions be as interactive as possible and then later on we're available as a podcast as well on google spotify all that kind of stuff so angela do you want to introduce our guests and then maybe we'll do our new segment that we talked about first and then dive into it with them or do you want to do your segment first? Muted. <laughs> I can't oh, she's muted? Okay. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. There she is. I'm, okay. I'm back. I didn't realize I was muted. I'm sorry, guys. I can go ahead and introduce them and then get started with a little bit of what's been happening. And then we can allow them to give themselves a real proper introduction, if that's okay. Yeah, that'll work. Okay, let's do that. Okay. So today we have the getaway couple joining us, Ray and Jason Miller, and they are very immersed in the full-time RV side of the industry. And they have their hands on a lot of different things, working with teaching people about the RV lifestyle and that sort of thing. I know that doesn't do them justice, but I will allow them to speak for themselves. And then I think to get started today, we were just going to highlight a few things that we've been seeing over the last like what week or two. Yeah, so Something this was like a new that. segment, and this is a new segment we just popped into my head like an hour ago, as all things do, right? Last minute and totally unprepared. And so I asked Angela, editor-in-chief of Modern Campground, she's in these articles every single day, to just do a, maybe a five-minute update for us every week on what's new, what's come across their desk, what's exciting, some videos, photos to share, stuff like that. So Angela, take it away for your introductory SNL-style update. <laughs> Oh, those are really big shoes. <laughs> so Brian, if you can share the, if you can screen share for the AeroPods, these are so cool. I'm probably not going to pronounce this. I think it's like maybe Leitrim or something. Leitrim AeroPods and they're based out of Ireland and they are upcycled airplanes. It's so cool. And a couple of guys, they started this by the repurposing old airplanes. And they started it as a work from home accommodation. So people had like something to separate being inside their house from their work day to their home life. And then they caught on and now people are wanting them as glamping units. And they said they have people that are wanting to order 10 units and they're really cool. He says that they, you can do from four windows in length up to 20 windows. And for a setup, it, every, it sits on a like concrete pad and just hooks up what sounds like relatively normal to what you would do for a cabin. So the setup 
from a park standpoint, it doesn't sound like it'd be too much, not much different anyway than your average glamping accommodation. But yeah, I think these are so cool. And I'm so sorry, I have a toddler turning up the television incredibly I have loud a question while your toddler's turning up the television in the background, and maybe the answer to this, maybe you don't. Is there a difference between the Delta version of this versus the jet blue version of this and and do we get sort of snacks in certain ones and not in the other and are no they peanuts or cookies. cookies okay yeah that's a deal breaker for me i'm gonna need the chocolate chip cookies no biscoff cookies no it said that they're all obviously the same general width but they come they're insulated and you can heat them and really it sounds like a cabin experience when it comes to those types of accommodations but with the cool factor of it's an old airplane so yeah, I thought those were, I thought they were pretty cool. And I love how the one end is entirely windows. Can you imagine that? A really cool view somewhere. They're so what cool. If, what if a bear comes up and tries to like look in your window though at night? That would be like you wake up and he's just sitting there. We were at, we, I went to the Calgary Zoo the other day and there was lions literally right up against the glass with their paw there and one actually urinated on the window right in front of us. So I feel like that'd be scary if you woke up to that glamping. Just saying. Yeah. Pros and cons. Well, I don't know many spots that have lions roaming, so hopefully this will be a non-issue. I'm looking online at a spot in the UK that has them, and it's so stunning. They're like... Wait, has the airline pods or the lions roaming? I just think it would be fascinating. Like, it's always been, when you look at the African safaris where the giraffes can put their head in through the window, when you wake up in the morning, those type of experiences are really super unique. And in the future, when they evolve science, who knows, you could have purple rhinos, you could have anything going on. So it interests me. You just never know. Something else that I thought was interesting too in the article, they were talking about how some people are wanting the really long units because they are using them in place of a mobile home unit. I thought that's fascinating, but it's also cool. What do you do with all these old airplanes? sitting around like it's a lot of products feel free to pop in getaway couple who i don't know your names because i'm terrible with names you can comment <laughs> and, and please jump in anytime you want okay that's good i didn't know if we needed to wait until we were fully nope, introduced not at all no, not at all. no 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 please jump in um let's see next up we're going to talk about pinnacle trails Rebel Stoke Inc. is an ownership company, and they just recently purchased an almost 30-acre property in it's a KOA that's in BC, and it's it's interesting. They are wanting to split half of the property for like public use, like transient guests, and then they want to split the other half of the property as investor sites. So they would be shareholders that would have exclusive access to their sites, and so they're working on trying to map out that business plan and get approval for that from their local municipality and things like that. Obviously there it's ownership of breaking apart a piece of land and, you know, lots of things involved there, but I think it's interesting concept because it's also a KOA. So it sounds like independently owned, obviously not a KOA owned property, but interesting because it's still franchised. So, um, yeah. I think it yeah. really to this like appetite by campers to purchase a seasonal site. But then also, I think we're seeing this stuff around real estate concerns. Real estate's so expensive here. It's a really interesting way to maybe start building a, a, a portfolio and establishing some equity in a less expensive way. So I really love that accessibility. I'm interested to see what the city comes up with. It sounds like they were just making some big decisions this week. I'm definitely going to follow up on that one because I, I want to 
know what comes of it. Certainly there's housing issues in some of our cities and provinces up here in Canada and accessibility to real estate is a big hurdle right now. So it's really cool. Yeah. For those yeah. who don't know, Revelstoke is up in Canada in the province of British Columbia. It's right by a massive national park that I've yet to visit. It's on my bucket list for the summer. But really great skiing over there and all kinds of stuff. So it's a big tourist area. And it's a it's an interesting place to start one for sure. And, and and what do you guys think about this from a getaway couple perspective, being full-time RVers? Or how does that change your perception of a, of a park that does something like this? I think it's great. I've never really seen parks mixed like that. I feel like it's one or the other. And we've always driven through the parks where you do have to buy like the actual plot of land and they're always just really nice and they normally have really nice amenities and then you pay a little HOA on top of that. And so you get lawn care. And so I'd be curious to see how that would work combined with like guests that come through and then the long-term permanent guests, but it and I think it sounds like a great way to recap some of that upfront cost mm -hmm. um, of buying the land and developing it. And now you're able to, instead of waiting for the recurring income from transients, you're able to recoup at least half of the cost by selling the individual plots of land right up front and not wait the five to 10 years it could take to recoup a site development cost. Totally agree. So I like, think it's interesting. Go ahead, Angela, please. Sorry. Sorry. I think it's unique too, simply because it's, I feel it's different than your traditional long-term like seasonal sites when they don't own the land. I think when they own the land, they obviously there's legal ownership in that, but there's some ownership over upkeep of the property, what that looks like and that sort of thing. And, but I think it's probably a little bit more regulated too. And so I think, I think that's a unique, a lot of times when you get into parks that have a lot of the long-term guests get into that long-term guest or the trailer park kind of a feel but when they actually own the land I think it it ups the ante a little bit they have more skin in the game so totally I just see what happens yeah I'm super interested to hear about implications in terms of property tax and things like that how that works I know as a former campground owner I my, my property tax bill was pretty hefty and I received limited services for that and any sort of infrastructure additions I did really boosted that price up so I wonder if this shareholder structure transfers some of that property tax burden down to the guest or shareholder. It's a really interesting concept for sure. Yeah. yeah, it opens up so many different questions, right? Because in traditional manufactured housing developments, you own the trailer that's sitting on the land, but you don't own the land. And so now if you bring in investors, like Kara said, are, are these shareholders? Are they each individually buying a plot of land? And then are they responsible for the upkeep on their own plot or as a group? And then what are the rules that the people have to follow who are doing that? Is it different for every single plot? Is it like a condo association where you have rules for everything? Yeah. And then can they sublet? Can they do Airbnb? Can they do, there's so many different directions it could go. I'm interested to see how they tighten that down I, and keep it the same. I was wondering if they are going to do anything or if they are able to do anything like an HOA to be able to regulate a little bit of what the outward appearance looks like. And it sounds like in the article, it sounds like it's very segmented. I don't know, like front half or bottom half, however it's laid out. I don't remember what they use, but it's supposed to be for transient or whatever. And then the other half is supposed to be for their shareholders. So it's sounds like there's some separation too, which sometimes I think parks, you get into that. It's all intermixed. And so you're like pulling up in your really nice rig and then there's someone that's been there for 15 years. <laughs> And you've guessed experience a little bit. 
think yeah. they've probably thought it through. Like there has to be some way to do an HOA homeowners association, some kind of trick. There's all kinds of creative thinking you can do with it. Uh, do you remember? I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember this. There was an X Files episode about a homeowners association where this monster came up from the lawn and just ate people who didn't follow the rules. So there's all kinds of creative ways to control that thing. Say that I'm an X Files fan. No, so. no I don't. <laughs> I didn't want to listen to as a kid. I used to. My parents would let me. I used to sneak oh, in under the covers. It was amazing. So, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Back to the more important thing. Awesome. Okay, so let's see. Moving on. The other thing, and it's not like new news. It was. It was announced during the Tampa show. Thor and Airstream announced their new. Oh, what's going on today, guys? Their new self-propelled concept for. It's a new trailer, and so it's really cool. Electric. And so many tricks, so many gadgets. We got a chance to um, view when they like announced it all to the public initially. And so we got to view all of the like um, initial videos and stuff like that. And I was like drooling over all the different concepts that they announced. But this one is especially cool because I don't, Brian, did I send you this link? I think maybe you can pop this up real quick. I think so. Yeah. You did? I'll check. I did. Yeah, uh, maybe we can pop this up. It's really cool, though, and you can actually park it uh, on the attached from your vehicle with an app on your phone or, like, on your iPad. And in the video, like, the demo video that they were showing, it was literally someone standing in their backyard or whatever, uh, standing in what looked like a yard, and they were guiding it and moving it across the yard with an app, with like, on an iPad at in their yard and that was that's incredible i wish we had that when we started <laughs> it, it, yeah if you, guys, if you haven't seen some of the other things that they announced during the tampa show definitely go check it out there's some really cool stuff a lot of interesting tech that they're incorporating into this rv glamping type lifestyle so uh, definitely go and check them out because they're really cool definitely come with a press a hefty price tag, but okay. but they're really unique. So I definitely check those out. What's MSRP on one of those babies? I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't know. Honestly, during the demo things, I don't know if they actually. I don't know if they <laughs> a little visitor actually had it for sale. But I don't. Yeah, I don't know if they actually said how much it cost. Um, I can tell you, it's more than Maybe I could probably afford. That. Yeah, maybe yeah, they, they don't know yet because you go to like not. the Detroit Auto Show and Ford yeah. always has these concept cars that never actually end up getting built. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd be interested in seeing how it works long term, or at least even the controllability, because I do know that uh, our experience with the RV industry is in terms of technology, they are not always on the up and they don't go with the most usable, like Apple cell phone just works kind of thing. They'll go in the the cheapest that they can get by with. Yeah. And we'll see if you can actually control it or if it just doesn't work and you end up just backing it up like normal and you pay all this money for that fancy feature that doesn't work. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think maybe we dive into that a little bit later in the show because I got a video about a concept RV and stuff like that. But I want to talk to you guys first about Getaway Couple. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we can circle back to that just to make sure we have enough time for you guys. So, Angela, I know you've been talking to these guys. You want to inter- give them a chance to introduce themselves and talk about all they do? Yeah. Did you have more news? I'm so sorry. You said the last nope. article. I thought that was it. Okay. Nope. nope. All good. Yeah. I would just love for them to do a real true do themselves justice <laughs> intro and just tell us a little bit more about who you guys are and what it is that you guys do. 
Yeah, you'd think we'd have our elevator pitch down by now, but <laughs> we are ready, Jason, and we started traveling full-time in 2017. We originally just wanted to figure out how to travel full-time, and we were planning on taking a year off of work and going overseas, and then RVing like popped up on our radar, and we were like, oh, we can work and travel, so let's do that because then we could do it longer. And we did tell ourselves we'd do it a year, and we are now working on our fifth year here. So, can't be tough. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and in those five years, we ended up transitioning. Jason was a cybersecurity engineer who worked remotely from the road. I quit my job because they wouldn't let me go remote. But then that's when I started focusing on Getaway Couple and at learning how to edit our YouTube videos. Like I was a project manager before, so. All this creativity stuff was not my cup of tea, but learning how to edit videos, getting on all of our social media platforms. And yeah, so we transitioned into full-time getaway couple two years on the road. So it was about three years ago. And that's what we've been working on. So we have our blog that we post two pieces of content on every day. We have our YouTube channel. And in the meantime, we created multiple businesses with other full-time RVers that we met on the road. So we got our hands in a little bit of everything. Great. <laughs> related. Yeah, such good innovation. Love to see it. So yeah. where are you right now? We're in Orlando right now. And we actually just transitioned into a rental property. So we were full-time for almost five years. And then this upcoming year with how difficult to spend to get campgrounds <laughs> and try we want to switch rvs so we realized that process of getting rid of one rv getting another rv trying to make the move it was just already proving a little too difficult so we said let's take a breather stretch our legs get into a home for the first time in five years and go from there so yeah. What do you admit, here's what's here's what's frustrating to me from the full-time RV experience and why I've never done it. Just briefly, Carrie, I'm so sorry we're on a delay. I would I like I hate the idea of going full-time for half a season or nine months or two years or five years and then moving back. I don't like moving in general. So if somebody could just create a house where I could just pull my RV in and not unload the RV and just go out to a living room and a kitchen, and I'll, like that would be wonderful, like a garage. It sounds like you want a barn to be. Yeah, like have it in Texas, barn dominiums. And if you have these really huge think? breezeways that yeah. are in the middle that you can just pull an RV right into it. Or now they're making port homes, but that's more like a house with a garage, big RV garage. But barn dominiums, is, we looked at it. We're that like, was one thing we considered, yeah. We're like, maybe we should buy land to build a barn dominium, but... Yeah, I got, we have to look into this, Angela. We need to have somebody who owns a Barnuminium on the show. Yeah. Barn are so fascinating to me. I end up stuck on Barn Dominium TikTok. Oh. And then I'd like to admit. Are you the only one who doesn't know these existed? Oh my gosh, they are so, they're really cool. And options are literally endless because yeah. you can structure your layout however you want. And I see all these people with these grand views like mountain ranges and I'm just like okay like middle of a field beautiful mountains like it's just they're they're cool yeah yeah the specialty of them is that the framing is pretty much all like thicker and on the outside so the inside is customizable like you take like a big warehouse and make mm -hmm. it pretty on the outside and then you can put whatever you want on the inside and so that's how they make all these 
on amazing games. Guys, the limit. My parents are looking into building one, and yeah, there's a ton of options. It's incre- incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you haven't decided yet what you're doing next, or are you RV shopping? What's yeah, we're technically RV shopping. You want to take this one? Yeah, this is it's one of those things that it's hard for us to comprehend, like what we're going to be doing, especially for this next year. And so what will meet our needs. And we know a lot of what we don't like mm-hmm. because uh, we've experienced it or what we want to try different things out. We've been traveling with a huge 42 foot uh, fifth wheel for the last couple of years. And that sounds nice. And it was multiple spaces so we can stretch out and have plenty of room. But now we're like, man, it'd be really nice to get something small, go to these places that we weren't able to take the fifth wheel before and not really have to worry about like trees as much or like low yeah. fringes or anything like that. So we're narrowed it down to either a small class A or class C. We do know that we want a dry bath and we like the class A because, you know, the big front would go. But then the other option is a chop camper because we have the truck already. We're, we're figuring it out. Yeah. That's awesome. No, that's so exciting. I love it. Yeah, we're excited. It's funny, like we've only been in the house a couple weeks now, but we're already getting antsy for getting that next RV because it opens so many doors. Jason said being with a 42 foot fifth wheel, we still feel like we saw a majority of what you could see, except with a small array, you can really just, you can travel faster, not have so much stress on moving days and get to those little further out places. In we experienced, we went to the Tampa RV show from Orlando and we had an Airbnb. And so we we're like, Oh yeah, that's right. We really like sleeping in our own beds or bringing our bed with us. And having all your stuff with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for that for sure. Yeah. So what are some of the other, you guys, uh, when I was reading your bio initially and the first introduction was made, I was really impressed by all of the different areas in the consumer side of the industry that you're involved in. And we have so many people on the ownership supplier end of things. What are some of the other things that you guys have your hands in that cater specifically to the consumer side of the industry? Yeah. So we started off with our YouTube channel and our blog, and those are direct for consumers because I like to help and teach people. And we know if like us, we come from LA, we had never RV'd before we hit the road. And so we learned so much this whole world. So that's the, our main focus is obviously always teaching the consumer mm-hmm. from there, but then we met other people on the road and became friends with and gears always get turned in while you're sitting around a campfire. And we decided to partner up with two other RV YouTubers, which is Tom and Caitlin of Morton's on the move and Olivia Brady of Drop and Environment. And we're just talking. We're like buying an RV for us was like really confusing. We had no idea what to do. And so let's put on a RV buyers boot camp right before the Tampa RV show to show people the whole process and step them through choosing an RV, like how to narrow down your options at the RV show and what to expect when you actually go to the dealership and how to look through your RV. So we decided to put that on and we did successfully in January of 2020. And that's what kicked off our in-person training business. 
horrible timing to start a in-person training business. So we were like planning to do more of these before other big US RV shows. And then we decided we should probably pivot and not do in-person uh, events. So we decided to change it to online because we had recorded our whole RV buyers bootcamp seminars. And so we're like, let's still try to teach people other things. And so then we created RV masterclass, which is a online course location. And so we started off where we created three courses. It was the RV buyers bootcamp. It was boondocking 101 because we were all experienced boondockers and we had just boondocked for the first time previous to that and were scared for like the first year and a half on, on the road of boondocking and what that entails until our friends Kyle and the Mortons took us under their wing and went out to the middle of the desert. We're like, this isn't that hard. So <laughs> we did that and then transitioning to full-time were our first <laughs> courses. And so that was Cool, you have your RV if you want to get the road. What does that entail? Changing location and what do you sell your house? Do you rent it out? What do you do? And cover all of those topics. But while we were doing that, we realized that there are a bunch of other courses out there from other RV content creators. And some people like the way we teach, and some people might like the way other content creators teach. And so we turned RV Masterclass instead of being a hub where you can only buy our courses. We put it as a place where you could buy any RVing courses. <laughs> and so it became a one-stop shop for uh, like a directory of all the, the different RVing courses out there. But we recently just uh, sold that to RV Life. And so he's going to be including it in, in the whole RV Life suite of and Yeah. 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 We were planning on selling it, but he reached out and we really like Andy. And so we realized he could probably take our baby that we made this last year and a half and take it to the next level with his RV GPS app and everything else he offers on RV Life Pro. Cool. I love there's yeah. such an appetite for resources like this among the camping community, the RVing community. I love it. We need more of this in Canada. We were talking oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I think there's a delay. It's all good. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the show about how there's such an appetite for people that want to test out this lifestyle and they see a lot of people living it, but they don't know how to execute it. They don't, and you Google that and there are so many resources. It's hard to know what's a good trusted resource, what's actually guiding you in an educated way. Lots of people can tell you lots of things. <laughs> they don't always know what they're speaking of. So I think it's really great that you guys have this resource um, of how to get from point A to point B. Um, something that I thought was unique and interesting, and I would love to hear what you guys think about it as being full-time RVers and recently establishing a home base again and that sort of thing. Another couple that I had been speaking with, they said that they were planning to buy a piece of land and build like an outdoor kitchen and a cement pad and hookups and things like that, where they could use that as their home base without actually buying a home. And they were talking about building out like a really nice fire pit and patio area and all these different things. And I just, I think that's such a great idea if you're not wanting this huge overhead of an actual home, but you want some place that you can always circle back to. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Is that something that you hear frequently? Yes. I actually feel like this past year we've had so many friends and just other people in the rv community that are looking into that option 
And we heavily looked into that as well. A couple of issues that we faced was we really have to pay attention to the county laws and the state laws and make sure that your RV is allowed there. Absolutely. Um, Zoning laws. Yeah. And then there were some beautiful plots of land in Colorado that we wanted, but then you could only keep an RV on it for six months. So each state and county was really up in the air about what they allowed. And so we ended up realizing we just needed a place to chill during a transition period. So we still think we would like to buy land and either build something or build a barn dominium because we did heavily look into that option as well. Yeah. We, uh, we found that we were looking for a place in the winter because as U.S.-based RVers, we like to get as far south as you can to stay warm. And so we were looking and it was like, left Florida, Texas, or Arizona as like kind of destinations. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of places, but of course, it's like some of these places that you can zone and build whatever you want to place the RV are far away from home major amenities and so we were trying to to, to gauge and but. some people like that i feel like we're actually the odd ones out with wanting to have a piece of property that we can have our rv on that's close to a city or a town i feel like most people who are looking into it they want their rv out in the middle of nowhere and to just disconnect and hunker down when they're not traveling so it really depends on what you want but i think it's a great it definitely is a great option to do that like we have a friend in florida who bought a piece of property and she comes back every winter with her and her husband just and they stay in their rv and they're in the process of building a little shed that they can have a small kitchen in and a laundry room and but it's a good place for them to settle down for the winter because year after year it's getting more and more challenging to find a place in those winter months I think it's really a mixed bag, right? Like it, it's, we've talked about this on the show so many times from a park owner perspective too, and from what type of park you're building and what amenities you're offering and all those kinds of things. I think it's the same thing from an RV perspective too. Some people want to be near a city. Some people want to be in rural. Some people want to swap that out during the winter versus the summer. Like I, I live in Calgary up here in Canada. It's a beautiful 60 degree day up here, by the way. So winter is a misnomer in some places I'm sitting outside, but, um, but I think it really depends on what you're looking for and what your preference is. I love living in Calgary near the city, near the amenities, stuff like that. But I also like escaping to the mountains. And so I could easily split my time six months and six months. Eventually, I could see that happening. Mm -hmm. yeah, we have another friend who has a piece of property in Florida and then another piece of property in Michigan. And so that works for them too. They will spend months at each property and take the shoulder seasons and travel during then when it's not really the most popular time to be traveling. And it's, it was actually, they inspired us of like, maybe we should do that too. So now we're the app, the idea of maybe two pieces of land on our mind, but <laughs> there's a lot of options for people. Sure. Definitely. What are some of the things that you guys are hearing? Obviously you're very immersed in the full-time lifestyle. So what are some of the common things that you're hearing from other full-time RVers of amenities or things like that, that they just really feel are missing from properties? We, we cater to a lot of owners on this show. That's a lot of our viewers. And so what are some things that like you feel they should really know people are looking for? Really hard one. And because it just varies so much based on who their audience is or who they're trying to bring to their parks for us having an inflatable bouncy pillow or a place like for the kids to play in a playground 
won't draw us there like a water park. That's not an amenity that, that we care about. But if it has a jacuzzi or a sauna, like we'll pay extra for that. But I think if you want something that would encompass everyone, I would say nowadays it's probably fast internet. I think I've plugged into the, the coax cable of to get TV stations once or twice in the five years that we were on the road. But I think that every single campground, I tried to connect to their Wi-Fi, and I think I got good service maybe I don't know, 20 to 30 times so that I could actually use that. But in terms of getting more people out on the road, especially if you're in the more rural areas, looking into some of the new services like Starlink is going to help some of those rural uh, campgrounds that can't get cell service as well or don't have any regular internet service providers, but yeah, obviously large sites, places that are at least gravel, but I know we prefer paved. Yeah. It's just so much nicer. And I feel like, like you said, larger sites, but I feel like a common complaint when we talk to other full-time warbeers is the site size, but then also the privacy in between sites. So we've been in some campgrounds where they put bushes up the six foot bushes and it's amazing. Like it, it changes the visual and like you're your appeared privacy so much versus looking right into your neighbor's sewer house. It's, it is interesting because there's also been parks that have like a small fence, like maybe six little fence posts. posts. Yeah. And just having that kind of helps with the delineation marker of what's your site and what's someone else's. And it just blocks like the sewer pretty much and like the power. And so you just don't look at that all day. You look at a fence, which for whatever reason, your brain is okay with versus looking at someone's power pole. So little things like that, that just really make living with a lot of other people in crowded we, uh, grounds. We should talk about Starlink in a second when we're done talking to them about all their in-depth projects and stuff like that. But there's ways you can do hybrid amenities too. Like jumping pillows are for kids. Tubs are usually for adults. What about a jumping pillow that acts as a diving board into a hot tub? Would that work I'm for you guys? I would probably try that. Yeah. I'll try it once. Yeah. Please, so. please consult with your insurance company. <laughs> ways you can, I'm just looking for ways they can save expenses, right? If you've only got a budget for one thing, if it does more than one thing, just saying. Anyway. I, I've definitely seen, and we I know, Brian, we've talked with parks in the past that they, one part of the year, they cater to snowbirds and an older demographic. And so their amenity set looks like this, their events look like a certain way, that sort of thing. And then in the summer, like spring into summer, it's all families. So they pull out some of those more fun amenities. It's more weather appropriate for some big pad on the water and those kinds of things. So when their older guests are there, it feels like it's a campground for them. And then when the families are there, it feels like it's a family campground and they have the ability to sell both of those experiences, which I think are not everybody's position to do those kinds of things. But if you can, certainly works to their advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's only certain places in the country that probably works in the United States without sure. infrastructure, bearing pipes further, glamping accommodations. Obviously, I think that's going to switch as we get more into glamping. But I think right now you're talking about, I think the person you're referencing was in Florida, yeah. Florida, Texas, the, the hot spots yep. that they were talking about. But I think it's a great idea yeah. if you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that goes into also, and obviously it doesn't apply as much to uh, full-time RVers, but some of the parks that we talked to that were trying to extend their seasons by even a few weeks, just more so with their cabins 
and the glamping units that they have on their property to see if they can turn a little bit of extra revenue. Yeah, it's certainly an evolving industry for sure. For sure. Yeah, I don't like, feel like that. Go ahead, please. Sorry. I was going to say, I know you feel like that might not apply to full-time RVers, but we had one heck of a time this year. We were in New England for the end of the summer months. And so in October, November, coming down from New England to Florida, we had one heck of a time trying to find campgrounds that were open because their end of season dates were just October, the middle of October, early November. And so we were, we would have really loved to have seen a couple of campgrounds that extended the season just a little bit longer. Yeah. And I feel like, like every closing part, like we're there for the end of the week of every part. Of every part we're in. Yeah. Through October, November, it was the last week you were allowed to be there. And some of these parks were full still. So we can't be the only ones that I think oh, that would be a great idea for some of these campgrounds to extend their seasons. I think you're going to see this tr switch dramatically in the next few years and even onward, right? As we talk about larger investment groups and hedge funds purchasing these parks, they want to expand out the season as much as possible. That's reasonable to do from a return on investment standpoint. Uh, I think a lot of the mom and pop owners who traditionally own campgrounds are tired because it's just them or it's just them and two other people. And so it's understandable why they want to close. And so as that flips into more of an investment group standpoint, I think that changes as technology changes, as more glamping accommodations are put onto campgrounds. There's obviously a warm place that they can stay with a heater and that extends at least part of the campground season. So I think some of this is going to change as we move forward. That's going to take uh, real efforts on the parts of some of our associations to communicate to counties and, and things like that about operating permits and, and things specific to campgrounds. I know I'll certainly speak to my own experience in my park. My, my county wouldn't let me stay open past October 31st and communicating with those officials in those counties is going to be really vital to, to help them to understand that the industry doesn't need to specifically always have those limitations. There's ways to work around weather requirements and, and various things to really help these operators extend their seasons for sure. I think our associations need to keep working on advocacy on that front. Uh, yeah, I agree. Some, sometimes it's really difficult to deal with the politics of things. I, I would encourage you if you run into roadblocks with your politicians, maybe watch The Sopranos. There's some tips in there for those of you who need some <laughs> other ideas and run into roadblocks. But uh, You're going to get sued. I, just, just for telling people to watch The Sopranos? <laughs> For the record, no show no. guests, Kara or I have any legal uh, like liability or anything or anything show or any advice that Brian may yeah. advice he may give. I mean, I feel like I didn't say anything but watch a TV show. Whatever you guys want to infer and take from that. <laughs> Better alternative, get in touch with your association reps. Get help from them specifically for your for any advocacy efforts if you're coming up to issues specific to operating permit barriers with your county or, or whoever's issuing those things to you. I think our associations certainly are well positioned to help on that front for sure. What about getting a group of landowners together to just secede from a county and then form their own kind of country where they have no laws and regulations? Would that work? Some RVers that could get behind that. <laughs> Just saying, it's a free country. You should have the right to pursue the American dream, whatever way you want, for this regulation stuff. So, all right. Anyway, the way to to operate within the the 
boundaries and, and be communicative and address some of those issues. But yeah, it's not always just because an operator is, is tired. Certainly that's a factor. Usually by November, we're like, I'm tired. I need to go somewhere warm now. I think in a lot of cases, there's limitations being put on them by from a regulatory process. Yeah. And to be clear, like we joke around a lot, but obviously if you're willing to put in the time and work with your legislators and people like that, most of them are very reasonable. They just don't understand the industry and don't understand your business. And so if you take the time to explain it to them, then most cases, I think it's going to end up. And I think there's a good appetite for compromise in a lot of those, like in my case specifically, I was able to have my operating permit extended to full year, but only for a portion of my sites. So my capacity was restricted, but I was able to host guests even in the winter time, as long as I was operating in terms of my sanitation requirements and all of those things based on their expectations of us and working alongside our health authority and all of those things to make sure all of that stuff was above board. They were happy to make that compromise with me. And so I think, yeah, that collaboration. And we have heard people in the past that have talked from the advocacy side for local municipalities is um, Ryan said they don't really understand the industry. So when they're making these, creating these limitations and different regulations on size restrictions or requirements for what type of, what size, like sewer tank and things like that, that you have to have installed. A lot of times they're just calling another municipality. Hey, what did you guys say about this? Okay, sounds good. But there's still no rhyme or reason to why that's the choice that was made. And like Brian said, it's just that collaboration. And, and Kara said too, you know, talking with your local leaders and really educating them because you don't know what you don't know. And then it can only help other future park owners too. Well, that's it. And that's what I'm trying to drive home. That's super important is a lot of people are just anti-regulation and they think these politicians and people are out to get them and they're not. Some are, but most of them aren't. Uh, and so if you just have that dialogue and educate them, then you can change their minds and you can not only push your park and your dreams forward, but you can help other people too. Yeah. There's an industry impact for sure. Broader than just yeah. your own business sometimes for sure. All right. What else do we got? You guys got your hands in anything else over there? Anything you want to tell us about that maybe we haven't asked about? Oh, gosh. No, not right now. I mean, we've, we've transitioned. Of course, we do plenty of other things. We run social media for companies and run a little bit of marketing help for select RV companies that have reached out directly to us because of our influencer status and job, whatever. They see that we do marketing well. And so... We help out with that, but we're, we're just leaning more into publishing because it's more rewarding for us. We also have our printables, which and we made those years ago, which is why I think we always forget about them, but we, we, they're good sellers for us, but they're basically just checklists because we made so many mistakes when we got on the road. And so we ended up making really detailed checklists for ourselves and then there was that need in that community of like, hey, actually, can I see your checklist? And so then we just went ahead and made like over a hundred pages of different checklists for all different types of things. So that's one other thing that we, you know, sell to our community and we do it for a couple bucks, just a little print off. So you make sure you don't forget X, Y, and Z on moving day or packing up and yeah. oh, cool. Yeah. Are your checklists intended for people that are going into the full-time RV lifestyle or do you have things that also cater to maybe just new people to camping in general and in those areas? Um, we actually broke it up into two categories. So we have a bundle that's called preparing to RV. And so that's like people who are getting ready to full-time. And so that would, 
those checklists went through like the things you need to do about claiming domicile in another state. If you're going to do that, what do you need to do to get rid of everything in your home? Down, it's a downsizing checklist, a PDI checklist for when you're buying your RV and you're picking it up, everything that you should look at. And then we have just a, oh, beginner RV checklist. And that's your packing up checklist, your arrival checklist, your departure checklist, your maintenance checklist, your weight checklist. Yeah, like forms where you can put in all of your like RV warranty parts because each, each appliance has its own warranty and contact information. So trying to make it a central place and so yeah. stuff like that as yeah. well. That's really appealing because like I could never be a full-time RVer because I forget, ask Angela, I forget everything all the time, all the days <laughs> because I'm doing so many different things at once. And so I can only imagine the fires I would start and the disasters I would cause in my own rig. What we really need is you guys to develop like one of those autonomous Alexa robot voices that can talk to you throughout your RV. And, and when you're about to do something stupid, it just says, Dave, are you sure you really want to do that? You could die. And just, that would be the yep. only way I could successfully RV. I don't know about anybody else, but. No, we definitely could have used a, an Alexa type thing in the beginning. We made some pretty rough mistakes. We truly like the first three months on the road were a high risk and we debated giving it up multiple times. But that's what happens when you go from camping in a tent once a year to a 42 foot fifth wheel. <laughs> that's a big trip. Yeah. For sure. I think that the checklist is a great idea. We hear from a lot of people, especially with the uptick since COVID, um, of all of the new people flooding the industry that have no idea what they are doing and don't really know where to turn to learn how. And they're met at the park with frustrated regular campers and owners that are tired that are, aren't, they don't want to not that they don't want to educate people, they don't have the time, they don't have the energy or the resources to be able to do so. I think this checklist can be really helpful and just like a basic etiquette of how to behave at a park. I will tell yes. you, I've had multiple people reach out to me and say, I wish we had video content to send to our campers in an app or on a website or whatever that says how to do this, how to do this, how to do that, how to do that. If that's something you're doing, reach out to me afterwards. Maybe I can put you together with a couple people. Yeah, some newbie <laughs> training. Yeah. Yeah. That's that'd be basically what Angela's talking about. Camper etiquette, how to like just the very basics of things because people don't know. Yeah. yeah. And my natural reaction sometimes is to think that someone's being malicious or rude. And I've realized we make these videos, like we have a boondocking etiquette video. We have a camping etiquette video and they're really basic things. Like don't walk through other people's sites. Don't play music after, you know, quiet hours. Don't set up camp at four in the morning or really basic things. But when we get our comments back on those videos, we have so many people that are like, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to do that and I'll right. stop doing it. Yeah. It's great. And I know resources exist, like the ones you put out there, but what I'm talking about is from a campground or perspective to disseminate to their own guests, right? Before you arrive yeah. even. So. Yes. Those yeah. Good yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely chat a little bit about that with you. That'd be great. Welcome. All right. What else we got? We got nine minutes left, eight minutes and 20 seconds. Let's count down. <laughs> Anything else interesting that happened to Angela? We should talk about Starlink briefly. Because Starlink, we yeah. posted it in, in a, on a Facebook in a couple of different groups. Starlink has been around for years, but just recently, I think within the last week, was it last Monday or something like that? Tuesday, they announced that they're going to launch in quarter two of this year, I think, a business-focused service that's going to be $500 a month. It's going to 
literally be exactly what campground operators are looking for. Hopefully, who knows how well it's going to work and what the speeds will be like and all that kind of stuff and the logistics involved. But they are apparently launching this business package that is, yeah, seems to be perfect yeah. for campgrounds. I, I think so. We have Starlink, the consumer edition, and have used it in places where we've had very little internet, like up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. We're been docking for a month and we've been there before with very slow internet, which is very hard to work on, but it's like just enough where you'll keep working, but it's very aggravating all that. So we got Starlink for, cause we knew we were heading up there and it was a world of difference. We were ready to leave, but then I was able to, uh, secure a site through a little hack, I would call it where it wasn't available specifically where we were, but you just move it further and further away from where you are, like in a big circle. And eventually you'll hit their pulse cells that they allow you to have access to. So anyway, I was able to get access to one and it just gave me a notification that I wasn't at my cell, but it still worked. So it is super fast and great, but it still does have limitations compared to home internet where it transitions between satellites. And so right now, when we talk to our friends who are currently using it, We'll be on a video call and then every 30 minutes or so, or however fast it transitions between the different satellites, they'll just, and then they'll keep going. So like, it's funny. We'll everyone like, oh, they're frozen. You're like, oh, it's switching satellites. But for 99% of for people out there, that wouldn't matter. And even on video calls, a pause every 30 minutes, and then it comes back. It is very useful. And. I, I love the fact that you can just find somewhere where you can see mm-hmm. the sky. That was always our, our biggest problem with developed campgrounds is there'll be very nice trees and stuff like that around us. And I'm like, man, I have to find a I'm like, this is very beautiful, but it's in the way of my internet right now. So that's a limitation. But if you're setting it up permanently in a site, you can find a spot that you get a beautiful view for it. And I'm very impressed with the service from mm-hmm. using cellular internet for multiple years on the road and having old satellite internet at my mom's house because that's all we could get. My parents, go ahead, sorry. I was just gonna say with so many working age start beers hitting the road, it's a must at campgrounds. Um, yeah, if you can get the views plus the internet at some of these nice cool campgrounds or like in a nice beautiful place, but fast internet, man. Yeah. Don't have to kick people out. So I have a, I have a couple of questions. Number one, first, I, I remember the old satellite internet. It was HughesNet or something. My parents had yeah. it in the middle of nowhere in New York at their house. It was all like, it was awful. So yeah, this is different satellite internet for the people who don't understand the difference between the two. I used to travel on the road too when I first started the Insider Perks company back in was 2011, 12, 13, whatever. But I used to have an AT&T hotspot, the Verizon hotspot, whatever happened to be working at the time. That's the hotspot that I was using. And sometimes neither one would work. And so it was frustrating. And yeah, this is a, a huge upgrade. I think it's still early. I think those Zoom dropouts and things are going to be 10,000 times improved by the time they launch all the satellites they want to launch. I think they've got 2,000 out of 10 or something like that. Is it even that many yet? Other than the ones that just burnt up in the electromagnetic storm or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> I was talking about that earlier. Yeah, I think they're just over 2,000. Wow. Yeah. So I, I think that's going to improve quite dramatically. It's going to really be interesting. It would be interesting. Like, how hard is that satellite dish? to mount is it freestanding can it mount to a pole yeah so it actually comes with its own little like kind of floor mount but 
they sell three mounts for it. One is just like a standard, I'll use the word flashing mount or whatever. It goes onto the side of a building. You just screw it in four bolts and it gives you a little stand mount. You pop it in and, or you can get a pull mount. So that's what we have. Or I think they sell another type of mount, but they make it very simple. If you want to just make a permanent install. Yeah, it looks nice. I think it would be fascinating for a park owner who had a lot of trees to offer an amenity of just having a pole there that you could put your dish on once this becomes more ubiquitous. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of, when Starlink was first starting to come out and it wasn't for traveling yet, there were still so many in our RV community, Facebook groups, people who were buying it and then still traveling with it anyway. So I know a lot of RVers already have Starlink. And so that'd be really helpful. You could just pull into your site and as you're setting up everything else, just throw your satellite dish up there too. That's it. Eliminates the headache of providing it to the whole park from the RV park mm -hmm. owner. And, and again, maybe this is feasible some places, maybe not. I'm not speaking for everybody. But And then if you've pre-tested and that's exactly where it needs to go to connect to a cell or whatever it is, I don't know as much as you guys do, then super easy, hassle-free. It's, it's an easy way to outbeat your competition. If Again, not yet, but when it becomes ubiquitous enough to where 20% of people are traveling with these things or more, then all of a sudden that's a really cool amenity, I think, that differentiates yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think Starlink even has an app that uses the camera on your phone that you can take it to a specific site, it point it, mm -hmm. and it shows you, like, if you can, like, where the satellite needs to see. So even if you went and did that on a couple of your sites and marked them as Starlink friendly. And so if someone could like filter on your sites by the Starlink friendly site, I think yeah. even just that, the percentage of people who are using Starlink will instantly try to book one of those sites. Yeah. Pretty, that's pretty interesting. I think we got a business idea here. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Interesting tip to denote those, those sites. Yeah, regardless. Like like you're saying, even if you don't put the poll in, even if you note, note that these three or four or five sites are friendly because I've tested them or they don't have trees or they have whatever and you can market them as Starlink friendly. It's really awesome. yeah, it's interesting. Yep. Five extra bucks a day to stay in the Starlink friendly site. I've been it. Yeah. There you go. All right. Do we have anything else, Kara, Angela, anything? I just realized that my video is terrible and the sun shining behind me. No, I think, I think another great show. Thank you guys for coming and, and joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, I really appreciate you guys for joining us. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys. We didn't get to our futuristic concept talk, but that's fine. We'll save it for another time. Apologies for my video, though I probably honestly look better with the sun glaring behind me and my face obscured. Just as a reminder, next week we'll be back with our campground owner show. We've got a really kind of good group of panelists here who are going to talk about some pressing things that are on campground owners' minds at the time of the month that we're dealing with. So mid-February, we'll see what kind of they bring to the table and topics they want to discuss. And uh, as a reminder, we're available as a podcast, Google, Facebook, all those kinds of not Facebook for podcasts, Google, Spotify, all those kinds of places, Apple, uh, and you can download us, see us on the show. So thank you so much, uh, everybody, for joining us, and we will see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.